Oh, like, because when I shot, I expected to make it. So, like, I don't shoot kind of this. You are Locked On Raptors, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hello! What's going on? Welcome to episode number 844 of Locked On Raptors for Friday, December the 11th. I'm your host, Sean Woodley of RaptorsHQ.com. You can find me on Twitter as always, at WoodleySean. You can find the show at Locked On Raptors as well. You can find it on all of your favorite podcast providers. So please take the time, subscribe to, rate, review, not only this show, but all the other Locked On shows that you want to support. we got shows covering every team in the Big Four Sports, plus a lot of the college power conferences programs as well and uh, if you are a fan of this show there's more than likely another lockdown show out there for you so go and explore all right on today's show it is once again just me going solo uh, scheduling issues with Sandy from dishes and dimes uh, continue to pop up we just kind of have very divergent schedules and it's been difficult to line up but that's okay we'll get Sandy on at some point soon and uh, I look forward to that because Sandy rules and dishes and dimes rules and it'll be great to have her on the podcast but in the meantime, it's just me here once again, and I will be diving into the topic that I teased up yesterday, which is sort of a look at what will constitute a successful season for this year's Toronto Raptors. It's a very complex and different question, probably a different answer for a lot of people, depending on what you prioritize, whether you're someone who prioritizes rings, baby, or you're more of a sort of appreciate the journey type of person. We'll get into the different ways in which success could be achieved by the Raptors this year, from just basic win-loss record and playoff success to development to ensuring this is a fun last kick at the can with Kyle Lowry. Lots of different ways that this could sort of mold into a successful year. And look, Raptors fans have been spoiled. It's not often that teams end kind of feeling good about their season. Usually a playoff loss some comes with some sort of disappointment, and obviously losing in Game 7 to Boston was a huge kick to the teeth, but I think on the whole, you can look at the last two Raptors seasons, obviously the championship season and then last year, as both being pretty much unimpeachable successes, which is a, a very, very nice thing if you're a sports fan to have back-to-back seasons where you feel good about the way your team's season went and ended and I am very curious to what people will be thinking about this coming season. And I'm open to hearing your suggestions upon listening to this podcast, what you think success will mean for the Raptors in 2020, 2021. So let's dive on into the different ways that the Raptors could go about this. And look, these might all go hand in hand and they might all work together. But these different pathways to success may also have slightly divergent agendas and roadmaps for how to get there. So Let's first dive into just like the sheer winnings and losses of it all. You know, the Raptors last year were 53 and 19, clearly a successful regular season. I think most people expected a valiant second round exit would be the most likely outcome. And hey, look, that's exactly what happened. I think that was pretty okay. This year, I don't really know where to pencil in sort of the expectation line because 
This is a team that lost Marcus Gasol and Serge Ibaka, obviously. Clearly, I don't think it matters all that much for wins and losses because I have the Raptors coming second in the Eastern Conference again after a couple weeks of deliberation and moving them up one slot pretty much every time I revisited the concept in my head. I just feel like they're going to win a lot of games. And so I feel like the regular season, it won't be difficult to find some sort of, you know, marker of success, whether it's like a 48 win season over the 72 games, a 48 and 24 record, um, you know, 45 wins even might be considered that maybe the seating is what matters to you. Maybe finishing in the top four with home court would be sort of deemed a success. I kind of think it's going to be hard to fail in the regular season. Even if they end up sixth, I don't think it'll be by much if they are sixth in the East. I think it's going to be pretty clustered. I would imagine Milwaukee will run away with the top of the conference again just because they have the regular season formula down pat. And good for them. Congratulations. Let's see how it you know plays out in the postseason. Um, there's a lot riding on that if you have not yet heard. But between two and six, there are flaws and holes in all these teams as we talked about with Chris Manning on Wednesday. If you want to go back and listen to that, you know, I think... There's a, a you can punch a hole in the case of every single one of these teams to be a home court team in the first round, and I ultimately think the separation between two and six will be pretty minimal. It might come down to the last couple weeks of the season to really decide, especially with a shorter time frame with only 72 games to sort of differentiate. I, I really imagine it's going to be a pretty tight finish in that range. So even if they finish 44 and math 28, whatever the hell. Um, even if that's the case, I still think you'll look at that if there are a couple of games back of third or whatever and say, hey, that was a pretty successful year. Um, you know, a borderline 51 season over the course of a regular year, I guess just over 50, 51 season, if my math is correct, which is a dubious thing to suggest. But that would be probably success when you get to the postseason. Obviously, this is a franchise that's well beyond losing in the first round. I don't think they would necessarily have to worry about that too, too much. I'm also saying that as someone who thinks they're going to finish in the top half of the East. If they come sixth or fifth, yeah, it might be difficult to get out of that first round, and it might be a disappointing early exit at the hands of a Miami or a Philly or a Boston or whatever it might be if things don't go as planned. But again, I think it's more likely they finish in the top four than they do in the bottom four. And then if they can get a decent matchup, if they get that two seed and get you know the Pacers or the winner of the play-in rounds or whatever it might be, then yeah, you're looking at a very much looking at it as a failure if they don't win a first round series, less so of a failure if they lose to a very good team in the East sort of two through six range. And, you know, I guess you can kind of make your judgment when the time comes. If it, is it a close series? Do they get swept? Whatever it is. Um, I think it's also important to keep in mind that this is a transitional year and losing in the playoffs doesn't necessarily, I think, deem it a failure because there is this other sort of layer to this all. Tied in with the wins, but maybe separate is, you know, is development what's most important for the Raptors this season. They have OG Ananobi, Pascal Siakam, Fred Van Vliet, a bunch of other guys who they want to continue to groom, continue to figure out exactly what they are and where they fit in on what figures to be the next window of contention for this team going into the 2020s. If their plans all come to fruit in come to fruit, whatever the hell that means, if their plans end up, you know, following through and, and they come to fruition in the 2021 summer, you're looking at another contention window and you want to know exactly what Pascal, Fred, and OG and what their lot is going to be in whatever that team is. And so 
how do you balance wins versus the development of those guys? They might go hand in hand, like I said. You know, Pascal Siakam getting more of a of a duty as a number one scorer who's running more pick and rolls, who's got the ball in his hands more often, who's asked to be more of a central hub for the offense. You know, if that's the case, he might be amazing at it, and that might lead to many, many wins. There also might be some growing pains, and that might lead to a couple extra losses as he kicks away post-ups to other teams and stuff like that. And, you know, you have your, your warts along with the positive that will surely come from him having a more expo- expanded role in year two as the number one guy. You know, Fred Van Vliet, we've talked a lot about how he's much better off the ball. He's an incredible off-ball player who's okay on the ball and has very much defined weaknesses I would say when it comes to his ball handling his pick and roll operation his surveying of the floor his finishing around the basket all of that stuff is stuff he needs to work on if he wants to be the next tier of point guard who can actually be a guy who sets up every single possession for a team and maybe the Raptors want to funnel things through him a little more often keep Kyle fresh for the playoffs keep him roaming off ball keep him um, sort of in that sort of disruptor role that he can play where you know he's cutting he's you know attacking off of kickouts he's doing that thing and having Fred just kind of cut his teeth as the ball handler more often again maybe Fred Van Vliet's amazing at it and that leads to lots of wins maybe he really makes substantial growth I think it's probably unlikely that he's going to make like a Kyle Lowry level leap to being as good as he is or anything like that because very few people are as good as Kyle Lowry but I do think if they opt to funnel things through Fred more often that could come at the expense of wins in the regular season but ultimately probably be beneficial down the line um, same goes for OG Ananobi we talked about this with Joe on Tuesday's podcast talking about how good OG can be this season and I think the idea of having OG take on more of an offensive burden it could you know lead to again some growing pains some warts some you know inefficient plays some possessions that kind of become black holes because OG is not really accustomed to finishing possessions in a way that isn't cutting to the basket for a dunk or hitting a a spot up three and if that's the case you know yeah you might trade off some wins he's going to be like your fourth best player this year at the very worst maybe third best and if he's not quite ready for that responsibility then that could see you win a little bit fewer games as a team overall but again for the long term you're probably quite happy with that ultimately for me in sort of back and forth between wins and development I think I'm more on the side of development because I do think this is a long play and these are guys Fred Kyle sorry Fred Pascal and OG who are going to be on the team for a very long time and you want to give them as much seasoning as possible before your next window of contention kind of rolls through but there's also an argument to be made that is kind of centered around Kyle Lowry that maybe success is more about wins, and in particular, it's more about maximizing what could be your final year with Kyle Lowry on the roster. And I'm going to get into that in just a second, so stick with us. We're going to dive into the idea of making this a wonderful last hurrah for Kyle Lowry more than anything else, and I will get to that in just a sec. But first, I want to tell you about Built Go, which is a wonderful product from our friends over at Built Bar, and it is the best way to break through the wall that we all hit at some point during the day, whether it's a mental or physical wall. You can break through it with Go. Easy to take in one and a half ounce packages. You can put it anywhere. You can put it in your pocket, in your briefcase, in your laptop bag, whatever it might be. You're going to play some golf. You want it on the back nine to power through. It's easy to transport and take with you wherever you go. Built Go is the best workout gel on the market. It's like a five-hour energy drink, but without that same crash feeling. Plus, it's natural, so it's better for the body. Why would you go and drink one of those disgusting, like, electric-colored fluids that tastes like metal 
uh, but have caffeine and other crazy ass elements when you could have a bill go and get a third of the caffeine and better results. It's got three delicious flavors for you, including peanut butter, honey, chocolate, coconut, and chocolate mint. And you may be asking, how does Bilt Go work so well? Well, it is because of collagen protein being combined with the energy gel that gets you going. Collagen protein is fast absorbing, so it gets into your system quickly. It's easy on the stomach as well. It promotes joint, soft tissue, hair, and skin health. It literally makes you look better. And as well, Bilt Go is loaded with the good stuff to ignite your work. Beta alanine, B3, honey, a kick of caffeine, as well as B6 and B12 vitamins. Right now, when you visit BiltGo.com, use the promo code LOCKED. You get 20% off of your next order. Use the promo code LOCKED, L-O-C-K-E for 20% off at builtgo.com. Let's go. All right, we continue on talking about what success might look like for this year's Toronto Raptors. Again, one of our pressing preseason questions. Speaking of the preseason, of course, uh, the Raptors play their first preseason game against the Hornets on Saturday. I'll preview that a little bit in the final segment in as much as you can preview a preseason game before we've seen anybody hit the floor. So keep an eye out for that, and then we will talk about that game on Monday, of course. With that, um, let's keep on talking about the different pathways to success here. And I mentioned before the break that Kyle Lowry and sort of centering things around Kyle Lowry could, for some, be the pathway to ensuring this is a successful season. And honestly, it might be the path that I prefer the most because why the hell not maximize what you can out of Kyle Lowry and what could be his final season with the team of course, there is always a chance he could stick around after this year. Of course, they have to renounce his bird rights, which is an issue for keeping him, of course, uh, because if they renounce his bird rights, then they open the max cap room that they would need to sign a free, big free agent. If said big free agent signs a super max contract, then obviously it becomes a little bit easier to just keep Kyle around if you want to or move on, whatever it might be. He'll be 35 after this season, so maybe that's just the time you want to move on if you're the Raptors. I don't know. It, it makes me sad to think about no more having Kyle out around the team. My dream scenario is that the Raptors have enough cap space to uh, sign Giannis or another free agent and then bring Kyle back on like a mid-level deal of some kind, even though he might be worth more than that somewhere else. Maybe the just the idea of staying where his stuff is and getting paid to potentially be on a title-level team will be enough for him. But that is for a day uh, further down the line. Right now, it's all about just maximizing Kyle while you for sure have him on the team. And... You know, there's there's some ways they can do this. Obviously, I think the the main way is to like have Kyle run the offense more often because that leads to better things taking place. That might sacrifice a little bit of Fred VanVleet's development, but you can find a balance for it. Fred's going to have plenty of time to run the show himself when Kyle sits. I would hope they're going to be a little bit more safe about Kyle's minutes this year. He played like 36 or 37 a game last year, uh, which is a lot for someone of his age. And while he mostly avoided injury, except for that one freak thing, I think it was his thumb, if I'm not mistaken, that he missed 11 games for in the early part of the season, uh, you don't want to have him overburdened, and you want him fresh for the playoffs, where he's been excellent ever since, like, 2016. So, there's that. I think the thing with Kyle and sort of maximizing the season is there is certainly a way to do it, where... You are good enough, you're winning enough games, you've, you've prioritized winning enough that you get to the deadline and you can justify to yourself making a real-ass trade to potentially sort of beef up for one last kick at the can with Kyle Lowry. Depending on how the Eastern Conference looks, you know, maybe the Raptors are in that 2-3-4 range and they look like they could potentially be a fringy conference finals or finals team. And, you know, with the right breaks and the right move at the deadline, maybe that unlocks a different kind of ceiling for them. 
you know, obviously you're not really getting like a star impact player necessarily at the deadline, barring like the Jazz flaming out and Rudy Gobert becoming available. If he does not sign an extension this offseason and he's headed towards free agency, maybe you could swing a deal for a guy like Gobert. But for the most part, you're just looking at really nice, you know, role player upgrades. You know, PJ Tucker is someone who who I've thrown around as a potential guy. Uh, Andre Drummond was thrown around, I believe, by Chris on the podcast we did on Wednesday is potentially someone who could fit into you know, a lot of the contracts the Raptors have to ship out. Um, you know, the, the Raptors are in a spot where they do have a lot of money they can piece together to make a move. And this is the thing that excites me. There's a chance here, if things go really well, they really can just really make this about Kyle Lowry and having one last excellent shot. You know, there's been this sort of through line of thinking with Kyle, like, oh, you should just trade him so he can be on a contender. He, why not have him be on a contender right here? Contender, you know, probably a fringy contender at best, not necessarily uh, one of the teams you would pick to win the title off the start of the season. But things break weird all the time and Kyle himself drives winning to the degree that if you can put a really good team around him, you get those steps from Pascal Siakam. You know, there's no reason why the Raptors shouldn't pursue something for an expiring deal somewhere at the deadline. Obviously, the list of players who might be available as rentals is dwindling, as it seems more and more people are signing on long-term contracts to stick around. Uh, We saw Paul George, obviously. We may see Giannis and and Rudy Gobert at some point here. Giannis is not going to be a rental by any means, but potentially a guy like Gobert could be. Um, But, you know, a Drummond, a P.J. Tucker, any number of other decent to good players who are available for sort of the raps cap flotsam they could throw at them right you have the contracts of Aaron Baines and Chris Boucher making up about 13 million bucks you throw in uh, the contracts of call of Stanley Johnson as well as Patrick McCaw and that's up to like 21 22 million bucks and then if you really wanted to get crazy and throw in a Norm Powell to get a couple pieces back to balance up the roster then you're looking at like 30 plus million to work with if you're trying to match salaries and so flexibility will be there for some sort of on-the-fly rental deal we know the Raptors have been okay making rental deals in the past under certain circumstances like when they got Serge Ibaka before getting any sort of guarantee guarantee he was going to stick around and obviously they lost out on PJ Tucker and had him as a rental who was a very very effective rental and I would definitely go down that road again and to me this is sort of the path to success for me is making this about Kyle Lowry making this a send-off season if this if this is going to be his final year in Toronto make it one worth remembering make it one where he had another earnest shot to make a deep playoff run again it might not end in a title but as people know me I'm not much of a title or bust type of person and a really fun season that allows Kyle Lowry some more playoff moments like he got to see last year in that second round series with Boston to me that would be a successful season and there's also another element to this as well that is all tied with the 2021 plans as well. And I think you really want to try to prioritize winning because you want to put on the front that you are the best possible free agent recruitment destination for a team, especially if one of the teams you're competing with for said free agents next offseason is Miami, who's in your conference, who also has money that's going to be available. You want to finish ahead of Miami if you can. You want to look like a team that is one piece away from being something special, and if you focus too, too much on the development side of things, when you've pretty much shown that you can balance being good in development for the last five or six years, if you lean too hard into it and really sort of let guys like OG take their growing pains and screw up on the fly and you really sacrifice wins in the name of de- developing those guys, you might not look 
sort of by the standings and by the overall numbers like a team that is exactly one superstar away from being a title contender. And so I think that has to be balanced here as well. We know the Raptors are all about winning and staying relevant and developing on the fly while also keeping an eye to the future. And I would hope that that's going to be the move again this year as opposed to, you know, all right, Kyle, we're going to scale you down to 28 minutes a game just because you're old and we don't want you to overexert yourself. We're going to have Fred run every pick and roll and he's going to be the orchestrator of the offense more often than not. We're going to try to make Pascal Siakam's postgame work and just have him work over and over again on it and then take the mistakes that come with it. We're going to give OG a usage rate over 20% just to get him those touches and those reps. You know, that that might have long-term benefits for sure, but the long-term benefits might not matter if this is a six seed with 42 wins that doesn't really project as being like the best landing spot for a free agent. So that's part of the calculus they'll have to keep in mind as well. And I'm sure they will keep in mind that calculus. And I'm sure Nick Nurse himself will be very happy to try to milk as many wins out of the season as possible, doing as many things as he can to get those W's because that's what Nick Nurse does. He's a dude who likes to win games and is very, very good at it. So I would expect that this will be a successful season because they will prioritize making this a great run for Kyle, that they will win a lot of games, and they will paint themselves as a team that is a very gracious landing spot for a potential superstar free agent that could change the balance of power in the league. With that, I think that's a pretty good place to put a pin in that conversation and move on to the uh, final part of the show, where I'm going to take a look at the preseason game coming up on Saturday, dive into some things I'm looking for, and, uh, you know, there's only so much you can preview a preseason game, but I'll try my darndest on the other side. That's coming up in just a second. All right, let's preview an actual basketball game that is apparently happening on Saturday. Still don't really believe it. There are actual games taking place on Friday night as well, although I will not be watching Knicks Pistons because I care about myself, and that seems like a thing you don't got to do. Killian Hayes will play many regular season games that matter this year. It seems pretty whack to tune in to a Friday night Knicks Pistons preseason game, but some of you will because you're beautiful, beautiful freaks. Anyway. In terms of the Raptors' preseason game against the Charlotte Hornets, uh, the first of two they'll play against the Hornets. They'll play again on Monday night as well. I am looking forward to this for a few reasons. Kind of three reasons, I think, are the top the top things I'm looking at. One, I would assume we'll see some Pascal Siakam. There are only three preseason games here, and if you want to establish a bit of a rhythm for him, I would assume he's going to get some run in all three. Um, I'm less sure about like Kyle Lowry, for example. He might take it easy a little bit here, had the short off season. Maybe he will come back and you know very sparingly play in these games. We'll see. Uh, we haven't heard much from Kyle so far in the bubble, um, and uh, you know we don't know really the status of him right now, but. I would assume he's probably going to have a lighter load than a lot of the other guys. Um, and I don't think Pascal is going to play like 30 minutes a game or anything like that. But if he gets the lion's share of first half action, for example, I think that'll be good. And he sounds as though he's been quite good so far in the preseason. He's looking confident. It looks like he cares and loves basketball again, which is awesome to see considering what he talked about when he was, you know, diving into his experience in the bubble and how he is, his mental health was not quite there. He wasn't mentally prepared to be there. He just wasn't feeling it. And again, totally justified to be feeling that way about the strange plague, but... <clears throat> 
about the strange bubble. Um, so I, I just I'm excited to see Pascal back on the floor. He's so electrifying. He's so fun. He's so unique um, of uh, among NBA players, and he's just a treat to watch every single time on the floor. So I look forward to the return of Pascal, and hopefully he can rip out some throats and make PJ Washington and Miles Bridges cry, get some confidence going. Um, considering the last time we saw him, he was getting stonewalled by Jalen freaking Brown on every single attempted post up. It'd be nice to not have to go through that again. The next thing I'm really excited to see is Malachi Flynn. I spoke about this yesterday, and the reports and reviews of Malachi Flynn continue to flow out of Raptors camp. Uh, A couple pieces written yesterday by Doug Smith and Michael Grange about the progress that Malachi Flynn is making. The degree to which Norman Powell in particular has been quite impressed by Malachi Flynn and his sort of studious nature, his constant asking of questions, his, you know, really understanding that he has not yet been there before and is taking advice from dudes who very much have been there and have made their way in the league from being low picks or not not at all picks in the case of Fred Van Vliet. And I, I'm really encouraged by what we're hearing about Malachi Flynn. And on yesterday's podcast, I talked about how I think Flynn should get some run from the start of the season. And it can kind of be a way to, you know, both work on your development and also maybe just play the best guy you have in that range of, you know, between the ninth and 13th spots on the roster. Maybe it's a little early to say Malachi Flynn's the best of that group, but he might be pretty soon he's very refined he has three-point shooting he has playmaking ability he is finishing around the rim he has defensive chops as well from his time in college uh and i am looking forward to seeing if he can kind of carve out a higher spot in the rotation than maybe your rookie would tend to have from the jump and like i said yesterday the lack of a g league regular season and sort of a setup that would typically behoove the Raptors to send a guy like Malachi Flynn down to get some seasoning before getting called up and being part of the rotation later in the season. That's not going to be there, so why not just throw him into the fire from the jump and see what happens? And I I look forward to hopefully seeing quite a bit of Malachi Flynn running the show, especially if Kyle Lowry's not going to play in these preseason games or not play very much at at least. Uh, Getting a lot of Flynn on the ball and just sort of seeing what he can do and what he can make happen, I would love to see it. How cool would it be if Malachi Flynn like punked LaMelo Ball tonight. That would be, or on Saturday night. That would be a treat, and I look forward to seeing that. Also, I'm curious, the third thing I'm really looking forward to is just kind of seeing how Nick Nurse toys with that 9 through 13 range of guys. You know, Flynn is kind of on his own in that group. The other guys are a little bit more established. We kind of know what they are, and how Nick Nurse deploys their very different skill sets will be interesting to me and I think I'll be looking for some hints as well as to the Chris Boucher Alex Len pair as well and sort of will either of those guys have their spot in the top eight that I laid up yesterday threatened by a McCaw a Bembry a Thomas a Terrence Davis who has his court date today by the way we might get some clarity on Terrence Davis which uh, hopefully we do I don't really hold my breath for these types of things but Uh, I'm looking forward to seeing how that back part of the rotation lines up in the first game of the preseason. And, you know, normally there's like seven preseason games. So the first one wouldn't necessarily have all that much meaning, but there's only three preseason games here. So I wonder if Nick Nurse will kind of go in with some preconceived notions about what he wants to see his rotation look like. And maybe that's his first impression. And then there won't be that much time for his mind to be changed. We might be in line for 30 minutes of Patrick McCaw. I don't know, but I, I hope that we see... Um, sort of a a bit of a a rough outline of what the rotation would look like tonight and then he can kind of have his theories tested in these games and maybe make some changes as he approaches uh, changes to what his gut instinct was as we approach the start of the regular season just uh, 
fuck, 12 days from now? Unreal. Anyway, uh, that's kind of what I'm looking forward to. That'll be a lot of fun. We'll talk about the game on Monday, get into our biggest takeaways, and all the traditional post-game reaction stuff that I've missed doing. It very much makes these podcasts a lot easier to put together. So <laughs> that will be on Monday. We will talk about that game. If any news comes about Terrence Davis from his court date today, we will, of course, uh, talk about that as well on Monday. Before I wrap up, I want to get to today's local business of the day that you should support. Uh, there's just more and more every day about how uh, wretched Amazon and, and all the fellow monolith companies are. So get your stuff from a local restaurant and order food from local restaurants as well because they need your help. And today we're doing another restaurant. It is Delina Restaurant. It is a Mediterranean restaurant found at 1891 Queen Street East. This one sent in as a recommendation by my cousin who loves Delina very, very much. You can go 1891 again, Queen Street East in Toronto. Uh, they are open seven days a week, uh, usually till 10 o'clock, nine on Sundays, and they usually open up at 11 a.m. noon on weekends. So go and check them out. They're on all of the apps to order from. Go pick up. They have delivery. Uh, it's fantastic. Go to Delina Restaurant. Mediterranean food. It's, uh, it's pretty tough to beat. Shawarma, falafel, fatouche salad. It's the, it's the shit. So go and check out Delina Restaurant at 1891 Queen east and uh that'll do it thank you so much for for tuning in as always subscribe to rate and review it's very much appreciated when you take the time to do that and i will uh see you again talk to you again i won't see you i'll talk to you again on monday after the raptors have played a preseason game have a good weekend and we will talk to you then on monday with another episode of locked on raptors <laughs>